Started my first startup in 97. The world told me I was insane. Our goal is creating future economies that are more regenerative and sustainable. Something didn't match up. Why hasn't this become the next big thing? And that's where we invested. The whole purpose of achieving anything in life is measurement. It is my, uh, my great honor to introduce our, our final keynote speaker for Shadow Summit 2021, Terrence Murphy. He's a former wide receiver for Texas A&M and the Green Bay Packers. He's the founder of TM5 Properties Real Estate Brokerage. He's brokered over a billion dollars in total sales volume in eight years. He has 21 companies under the Terrence Murphy Companies and has over $300 million in acquisitions under development. And he's just now getting started. So I am thrilled to introduce Terrence Murphy uh, to do a fireside chat with uh, Shadow Ventures founder, KP Reddy. So I will turn it over to you, KP. Thanks, Ian. Great hey, Terrence, you. good to see you. Good seeing you, brother. Thanks for having hey, me. You know, it was interesting. I'll, I'll give people a little bit you know, behind the scenes of how the sausage is made. Before this, Ian was like, hey, my bio's, your bio is really long. Can we cut it up? And, and Terrence, being such the humble person he is, he wanted to cut out all the, the good stuff, like <laughs> he sold a billion dollars and you have 21. You just wanted to talk about you as a human. And I'm like, no, no, just leave it all in there. But um, you wanted to take all the good stuff out. That's the stuff everybody wants to hear about. <laughs> I know. It's the stats that people want to hear, right? But no, I was like, Ian, don't feel any pressure, bro. You don't have to read all that. Let's just get to <laughs> yeah. it. Hey, thanks for coming. Um, you know, we met we met last year sometime. We've just been kind of building our relationship and uh, feel very grateful that you're able to take the time. I did want to talk. Um, it, it was interesting when we first met. You're, you're very subtle about your background and, you know, your football career and all that. And I think we're on a call with Nick and Nick goes, do you know who that is? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> like. Yeah. You know, like what? And he's like, let me send you some links. Right. So our first meeting, I didn't know, like, because you don't play it up. Right. You just like, hey, no. I'm trying to I'm grinding it out, building a business. And then Nick sent me this link and I'm like, wow. So would love to hear a little bit like your background. I think we had this conversation about, you know, athletes just grind it out and, and do the work. But would love to give everybody um, a little bit of background, both your kind of college career and uh, and the Green Bay Packers and the, the one night that maybe probably uh, put, pivoted your career in your life a little bit and uh, give people some context there. No, that's, that's, that's great. Um, yeah. So I would say, you know, just being a, an, an athlete, I grew up with a single mom um, in a very uh, humble beginnings. We, she was an amazing provider for what we, you know, had available. But she never let that stop from setting very, very high expectations for us as kids and especially me. Um, and so, you know, you know, I had about 18 D1 scholarships from different universities. But my first three scholarships, one was from UNC and one was from University of Washington. And they were full academic scholarships. Obviously, I chose to play football. And so she always wanted me to keep that at the forefront. That was always important for her. Um, and I've been an entrepreneur since I was 12 years old. So she's always pushed me to think outside the box and push myself. Um, but I ended up coming to Texas A&M on a football scholarship. Uh, I actually caught the game winning touchdown, my first game ever as a true freshman. I came in as like a two-star quarterback. 
and uh, went out in front of 100,000 people and caught the game in a touchdown. And I was able to have a really good career from that point. So I think I had over 30 records at Texas A&M, um, two-time first-team all-conference. And history. there's a lot of blah, 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 a lot of stats, right? The one is mo- the probably the, the two that are the most important to me are the two-time team captain. So being a team captain, there's only two people on the team that are team captains out of 150 guys. And now my junior senior year, I was the main captain of the team. That was yeah, that was important because it's voted on by your coaches and your peers. And then also being three-time academic all-conference. So I wasn't just scoring touchdowns and breaking records. I was, you know, I was making all academic team. And most of those people on that team were usually walk-ons. So um, but I was I was in that. So that was important. And then got drafted to the Green Bay Packers. Um, Aaron Rodgers was our first pick in the draft that year. I was the second pick. And so obviously everybody knows Aaron Rodgers. You know, you need to watch football. Yeah. That's you got the State Farm commercials, right? It's not, you got a discount double check, which is a story <laughs> behind that. There's a story behind <laughs> there's a story behind the celebration with the belt, but I'll I'll save that for another day. Yeah. Um and um yeah, I got drafted, was you know, in the first two rounds, was having a really good start to my career. And then I had a neck injury my rookie year, um, really bad neck injury and um, retired um, and just had to recreate myself, man, and, you know, reinvent myself. And the one thing that I was praying and asking for was a passion. And he showed me real estate and he showed me entrepreneurship. God did. That's awesome. That's awesome. I mean, it, it takes a lot to come back from that. I mean, it's not it's not an easy pivot. You know, I, I get to have the privilege of working with a lot of entrepreneurs and it's nothing but obstacles as you can imagine. And it's, it's constantly pivoting and just trying to, you know, move it forward. And um, your pivot was quite a pivot, right? It wasn't, it wasn't trivial, both mentally and then just different skills. Right. Yeah. 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 And it was, uh, it was a miracle. I mean, I was paralyzed from the neck down. It was on Monday night football. So, um, you know, I had, I had to, you know, four screws in my neck, two plates, I had the physical therapy come back from that. And, you know, I'm semi-normal. I can hit a golf ball a mile long. I can still dunk. I can throw. I can run. I can, you know, pick my kids up. And that's the most important piece for me. Um, but, yeah, yeah, I was I was paralyzed. I went through that that uh, situation. So, but coming back from that, I took that mentality. And in the middle of that physical therapy and depression and all the things that I had to go through to kind of rebuild myself, man, I read about 40 books in 16 months just around – entity structuring, investing, coding, real estate, whatever. I just was just digesting information because I had the time, you know, um, and that really got me going on, you know, really knowing that books is the, is the key to really pivoting and changing your your path as an entrepreneur. Yeah. How, and you, you when you started doing things, did you start off doing real estate or were you did, did were you just trying, you know, lots of different things and real estate became a focus area or? Like, where did you kind of start getting yeah. into your entrepreneurial journey? Yeah, so my entrepreneurial journey, I've been an entrepreneur starting in middle school all the way through high school. And then when I got to Texas A&M, it was just football in, in school. And so I've always had that spirit of starting businesses. And so I knew I wanted to do something. I, I got involved with a capital firm. It's one of the top number one and number two private equity firms in the Dallas Metroplex. Um, Stillwater Capital, if you look them up, great guys. I was one of their first uh, limited partners and investors, and I would be a part of a lot of their projects. Um, and that's where I was. That's where I started. That's where I cut my teeth. And then I moved back to College Station and downturn in the market, started developing here and building, doing student housing and was able to put together a considerable portfolio. 
And um, so now, you know, from that, people would ask me, can you help me? Got my license, started selling. And now we're buying commercial strip centers. We're buying multifamily. I'm in the best and final on two, you know, good size multifamily projects right now. Um, and um, yeah, we're selling real estate. We're developing, we're building. We're, you know, I'm working on 245 lot neighborhood right now. So wow. those kind of things that I'm doing, but I'm also investing in businesses. So I'm looking for startups that I can invest in and help grow because I'm passionate about growing stuff. And that's what attracted me to UKP, what you guys are doing the real estate centric. It's it's kind of the common theme for the businesses that you guys are helping grow. And I, I love that. Yeah. And we, I think we found out after the, after we met, we found out we were both investors in Icon, uh, coincidentally. So that's always fun to, to yep. say, hey, we're, we definitely are aligned. We're, we're putting our money where uh, in the same places. So that that kind of validates that alignment. Yeah. How do you, you know, I'm, I'm assuming you probably get hit up by a lot of startups, uh, a lot of founders, uh, we're, we're telling a story. I won't say who it was, but you're like, went out to lunch with a buddy. Um, he was doing a startup, but he never actually asked because we're good friends. He never, he never made the ask, right? Uh, which is just phenomenal to me. Like as a startup entrepreneur, like you're always asking, right? You're, yeah. always, you're always asking. Uh, I had a, I've had to coach people that through this entire summit, like, please shamelessly plug yourself. Please shamelessly permit. Like this is your opportunity as a startup to, to yeah. say what's on your mind. Uh, but, you're, you know, you were sharing that, like, he never asked, I never offered, uh, and he became a unicorn. But I'm assuming you do get at it. A lot of people do ask you, how, how, do you, how do you think about that process in terms of when someone's approaching you? I'm assuming probably through a trusted source of some sorts. But um, how, do you, how do you look at evaluating business, you know, business founders? That's a great question. Um, I get it in, a, in, in different pipelines in different categories. Um, like you said, the true startup where there's no revenue, there's, you know, and so what I try to look at when I'm truly looking at a startup is am I aligned? And is it something that I have genuine interest in? Because we can put our money to work in many places and get a return. Um, and I think we all know how to do that. But I think when it comes to startups and am I aligned and can I, am I truly interested in this? You know, because I'll get a medical device sent my way. I'm like, I'm not interested in that. You know, like I have no passion for that. So I won't invest in it. But so I start off with, is it real estate centric? That's really obviously the core of who I am. Uh, you know, at this point, I'm not a broker, a builder. I'm just a real estate entrepreneur. So I invest in that. And I have a, I have a, you know, a little private equity uh, thing that I do where it's just Murphy Tech Ventures, where I take assets and I put it into these different opportunities. So is it real estate centric? Is it going to obviously solve a pain point? And right now I'm really focusing on prop tech and fintech. Um, I think that's the next wave. So the technology space, obviously. Um, and then from that point, once I've digested that kind of, what is it doing different? Like what pain point is it solving? How is it innovating on that um, solution? And then I try to dive into where are they at from a capital stack standpoint? Like have they already raised capital? What does their evaluation look like? And then once I've kind of, I say underwrite it. That's a real estate term, but I've underwritten it. Then that's when I focus on the founders. You know, what kind of people are they? You know, what kind of guys, Terrence? What kind of guys, KP? What, do I see them just trying to go raise crazy money and then, you know, exit in 12 months? Right. Because that's, you know, it's so cool to do that right now. Right. Yeah. So that's really when I'm looking at a startup. Those are just some of the questions I'm asking myself. And once I get past that stage, then it's OK. Now let's look at it from an investment point again. What kind of return? 
And, you know, there's a couple that I've had opportunity to be on the board and just be an advisor. So I've earned some shares that way. So I just kind of look at each opportunity that way. Yeah. And you're predominantly your real estate business is mostly kind of college station area. Um, yeah. So we're, we're actually expanding, man. I mean, I have, you know, we're in nine States now. Okay. Uh, so we're in Florida, we're in California, Texas, Arkansas, um, actually in Chicago, which is random because I played football at Green Bay. But uh, but yeah, we're in nine states right now just through what we're doing with our, a lot of our ventures. Um, but when it comes to startup, obviously, to me, it's it's about the product, not really the regional part of it. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't have to tell you about the value of team. <laughs> you, you've lived it right. Um but, you know, our industry is so fragmented and our team isn't necessarily they, they don't always play for the same. You know, our teams are virtual in a way. Right. You go develop a project and you're hiring an urban planner that works for someone else. You're hiring an architect that works for someone else. And you're, you're, you're paying for them to be kind of on your team. Um, and, and they can be the weakest link. Right. They can be the weakest link to your entire project. If that civil engineer doesn't get your land disturbance permit on time and it's costing you money. I mean, it's just. Um, so you're, you're trying to like have a team work together in unison that you're not paying them on the first and the 15th as humans, right? They, they work for a company. Have you, have you hacked or figured out a, a, a more cohesive way to like work with these teams? Cause uh, very few have. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a question I get a lot now that I'm starting to speak more, you know, there was a time where I wouldn't, I was just kind of in the shadows, just building. I was just so focused on building and just learning and engulfing information. So that's why I was just reading books and I was just doing. Uh, but now I'm going out to the world. I'm traveling a lot. Like, man, I've been in eight states just in the last two months. And I'm trying to help inspire people and bring more access to information. But the one of the things that I get because people like you're running 21 companies because we have about 300 people that work for us directly or indirectly at this point. And it's a lot of teams, right? It's a lot of personalities and leaders and people who push them back and emotions. Um, the one thing that really has helped me is Gino Wickman. You could probably see a couple of his books over there in the orange, but Traction, um, Rocket Fuel and Traction, really the EOS Entrepreneur Operating System has really, really helped me. And so now when I'm looking at it, I have a scorecard for each company. I can put all of my companies on two pages and see, because, you know, I always say a profit and loss. By the time you check a profit and loss statement, it's a it's a after the fact. It's already happened. But on a scorecard, I can catch it before the end of the quarter and say, hey, why are we not? Here's our key performance indicator. Why are we not hitting this number or whatever? So that's what I've used. And it's really helped me. And it's, it's taken time to get everybody just like football. Right. Everybody like calling out the same play and speaking the same language. And that's yeah. right now what I'm doing with, across the board. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. I, th I think this is something that um, people debate. And, you know, there's um, the book by, uh, I forgot his name, but the OKR book. There's there's a lot of books around metrics and all that. And, you know, you find with pre-revenue companies and startups, sometimes the founders just say, you know, I'm, I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready for for metrics. And I've always said, like, well, first start tracking your personal best, right? Like your individual <laughs> activities, because probably, you know, the analogy to sport is, you know, can I run a little bit faster? Can I lift a little bit more? Yeah. Um, and, and you maybe don't have a shot to be out on the field yet, but when you do, then it's a different dynamic. But um, 
I've been a big fan of like having key metrics early and you get a lot of pushback from folks saying, well, that's just, what is this? Some kind of corporate thing that you're doing? Like I didn't come to work with you because you know, you're right. I would go work for IBM if that's what I wanted. Right. If I wanted meetings and, but, but I think it's interesting that you bring this up because um, a lot of startups, a lot of entrepreneurs just think it's much more intuitive no. and they don't get focused on the math, right? On the, on the KPIs. Yeah. I mean, it's fairly simple, right? If you and I decide to run a, mar- a marathon, right? Like, are we just going to sit on the couch eating Cheetos every week or we're going to start measuring where we're at, right? If we set a new year's resolution to lose 15 pounds, do we actually go way in or we just say, you know what, I'll just try it out. And no, the whole purpose of achieving anything in life is measurement, really understanding where you stand. And for me, like I tell anybody that works for me that is in my space anywhere, I'm a grower and I'm a doer and I always want to be evolving. The core who I am won't change, but I have to be evolving. And that's just me as an athlete, right? Like if I run a 4-4, well, guess what? I now want to run a 4-3. So whatever I'm doing over the next three to four weeks, I'm measuring how fast I am. Because if I don't time myself, how do I know where I'm at? So I think, you know, whether it's Inc. 5000 or Texas A&M, Mays Business School, Aggie 100, which is like the fastest growing Aggie 100, you know, top 100 companies in the world. I've won all those entrepreneurial growth awards or whatever. But the thing that's more important to me is I just like growing stuff and making it a better version of itself. And the only way to do that is to measure it. Yeah. How do you how do you think, you know, I feel like sometimes comp- being competitive gets a bad rap. I get told I'm like old school sometimes, like I'm very old school. But being competitive, you know, I, I always tell people I only perform if there's somebody to beat. Yep. Like it's really hard for me. I you know I know like you know the Michael Jordans of the world say that they 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 thrive because they competed against themselves. Yeah, I've struggled with that. I always have to have someone gotta have someone like lined up for me to go after that I have to beat. Um, but you know some days like culturally I get a bad rap for being too competitive. And uh, my first startup because we're you know 1992 building websites and software for the web and we didn't have a lot of competitors. And me and my partner decided we were going to compete with each other. He wrote all the code. I did all the sales. And I would go sign a contract and throw it on his desk and say, go figure that one out. Dude. And <laughs> he'd go hire a bunch of people to execute on the work. And he'd be like, hey, I'm going to have to lay all these people off. Are you going to sell something? Like, what are you doing out there? You know. And so we had this like banter. And we grew that company from two people to 1,200 people. Just like, And it was people didn't know if we were friends or not. We we're just always kind of at each other. Yeah. And we're best of friends. But... Um, but we quickly learned that I had to have someone to compete with. And even now, like when I ask a startup, I'm like, if you win, if you're highly successful, who loses? And honestly, like some of them look at me like that's the first time they've been asked that question. Wow. So I I feel like being competitive has gotten a bad rap. It has, you know, we've gotten soft as a country for sure. That's, that's self-explanatory. Um, I am old school. You know, my grandfather was a World War II vet and, um, you know, just being around him. He was a farmer and just watching how he worked and his mentality, you know, <laughs> it's like we they were they were built different. And, you know, and being a part of Texas A&M University, it's a historic university. Uh, it was all men's military school. And so these guys were fighting a war and then come back and play football. You know, and then we got guys that practice when I was playing, you know, whining about it being too hot. You know, it's like, what are we doing? 
So for me, it's a mentality. Um, and I used to think that everybody was like that, but I come to realize it's not. And so I've just learned to, you know, be comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. You can't be anybody else. Everybody else is already taken. I can only be me. And I, there's pros and cons to, to every personality. So, but, but I'm comfortable with who I am. I'm competitive to the yeah. core. I'm, I'm, I'm a hundred percent off the charts. I'm competitive on the disc profile and I'm all D. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. The first time I do a lot of yoga, when I first started doing yoga, my first question was like, how do I win? <laughs> <laughs> and my friend's like, that is not how this works. <laughs> this is supposed to be a release. Yoga. <laughs> no, I love it. Um, you know, so uh, slightly different topic, you know, like if we look at real estate and we look at diversity in real estate, and then we look at diversity in tech, and then you say prop tech, um, a good friend of mine, he's like, I think you're the only, he calls me his only non-European descent VC in prop tech. And I was like, that's a lot. Like, I don't think I put that on my LinkedIn profile, but it's really long. Um, but it def definitely seems like, you know, you intersect these two worlds and it's pretty much like not diverse. Yeah, it's not diverse. Um, and that's where, you know, the minds like you and I have to step to the forefront. Um, you know, growing up as a kid, <clears throat> I didn't understand what representation meant. I just didn't ever even thought about it. Right. But now that I have kids, uh, they go to um, a private school and we're, you know, we're in a, we're blessed to be in a nice neighborhood. There's not many, there's not a lot of diversity. Right. And so now my children are asking me those questions like, why, why am I the only one that looks like, you know, and kids are asking him, why are you the only one in class with curly hair? So that's when I started realizing like, wow, this like this, this is important for the next generation to see, you know, the all spectrums, all ethnicity, ethnicities, all uh, backgrounds, um, all cultures. That's so important um, because we all bring perspectives to the table. Uh, and, and on the inside, our hearts and, 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 you know, we're all the same, but on the outside, we do look different and that's okay, mm -hmm. but we got to accept that. And as a country, we've built this together and um, yeah, we, we do need to come up with more initiatives to, to, to get more diversity in all facets of entrepreneurship. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And it's um, you know what, I, I think your kids start to, there's a time in your life where you you start your brain and your mind share so focused on your kids. And you start thinking like, you know, I need to do something different. I need to figure out something different. Yeah. Um, and, and it starts to impact your day, life, your day job too. Right? How mm -hmm. you, how it informs how you make decisions in your day job. For sure. Um, as you've gotten into, you know, you're, you're into tech and you're into real estate. Um, what do you see that just could like, that just stifles you? Like, why do we do it this way? Like, what, like, what, it, I don't understand what's going on. Like, what, why are we still, you know, you step into meetings and you feel like you just, you stepped into a time machine. Like what is happening around here? And you see big lateral file cabinets and it's like, what is happening? What, what have you seen? Are there any patterns you've seen where you're just like, I don't understand why we're not, you know, Icons on a next level, they're going to build houses on Mars. So okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not talking about those guys, but, you know, there, there's a lot of these opportunities that just seem like low hanging fruit. You know, I, I, there's a few things that I throw out there, like title insurance. Like what, what, like, I don't even know what that is anymore. Yeah. Why? Is it <laughs> it yeah. sounds like a tax. It doesn't sound like it creates any value. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you just look at how you spend your money and everything has to create value. Yeah. I mean, are there things that you've seen that just like, I don't understand why this is done this way? That's how it was when I first started investing in buying real estate, whether it was multifamily development, you know, whatever. I was like, why are we still faxing contracts? Right. You know, and like, why? And so DocuSign obviously came in and changed the game and it changed my life. Right. Like I can do deals and, you know, I can knock down a 50 million dollar deal, be a part of it. And I never even leave my house. Right. So that's been a game changer. There's some the thing I would say is not only the fragmentation of real estate, but also the fact that there's so many different talents, but it's almost like we can't find each other. Mm-hmm. You know, like if I have an idea to change the game of real estate, how do I find the, the right, you know, co-founder? How do I find um, a way? Almost like if I could, I wish I could go on like Uber and put out, hey, I have this startup real estate idea and just put it out there without obviously keeping the proprietary mm-hmm. you know, information or intellectual property. And then like 10 people can apply and say, hey, you know what? I'm interested in co-founding that with you. Or, hey, I know a, I, I know 10 coders. What if we came in? And, you know, to me, that's one of the things about this space that I feel like as an entrepreneur and as a startup person, unless like Texas A&M has this program where these college kids are all there and I'm involved in Mays Business School. But I feel like we're all kind of in these different regions. And it's like, how do we come together as a, you know, as a as a space like the stock market? Right. Like everybody yeah. comes together to have that financial kind of transaction and mindset. How do we do that as, as a prop tech real estate? That to me would be one of the ways that I think could be a game changer for 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 people in this space. Yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. Um, I don't know how many startups that pitch us and they say, oh, I have no competition. And there's one pattern. I think once a week I see a we're going to be the Carfax for houses. And every one of them says nobody's doing this. Nobody's doing this. I'm like. Actually, in every major market, there are two or three people doing this. Yes. <laughs> your point, you, like you can't find them. There's somebody in Tampa doing it. There's someone in, you know, Sacramento doing it. And they're going to be the Carfax for the home industry. Um, and they all actually say that same tagline on all their pitch decks. Literally. And they, can't, they don't even know that they exist, right? So as a customer, as a, as a user of technology, there's no way for you to know if they don't even know. That's supposed to be their life's work is figuring out who else is doing this. And they can't find each other. It's kind of like prefabs, right? You know, (laughs) there was a couple of startups that I was talking to. There were prefab companies and they just keep springing up and they're all like, you know, in in similar pockets. I'm like, do you know about this one? I know because they pitched it to me, obviously. But this person who's the founder has no clue. I'm like, you know, they're like 30 minutes down the road. Right. (laughs) And they have no clue. And I was like, what if you guys came together and built something together? How much more amazing could it be? So that would be one space that I would say. And then the other one would be, I like to take statistics and figure out a pain point and then how do I solve it? So one being like 87% of real estate agents, they don't contact their past clients after closing. So they're like, hey, KP, you were amazing. Thank you so much. You bought this amazing house. Here's the keys. Let's take our picture at title company. I'll send you a follow-up text next week. And then after that, there's no consistency there. And so it's like, man, if you look at the life, the lifespan of one client, mm-hmm. you and your spouse, how many houses you're going to buy or how many referrals you can produce over the lifespan. Like that to me is a, is a gap in our industry. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, a friend of mine is in real estate and residential, and he said, I have, to, I have a book of two, I have a spreadsheet or contact database of 200 people. My goal is once a quarter to reach out to all of them, once yeah. a quarter. And what I figured out is if I stay on that cadence, then somebody gets married and somebody gets divorced and somebody gets something. And I'm just, in, you know, once a quarter is enough for me to be, to be in there. And he's like, honestly, I don't like, I don't go out and do any advertising and try to look yeah. for new relationships because I don't need to. He's like, I have my 200 and I just nurture those relationships. And, uh, and he's 30 years into it and has made a great living doing it that way. Um, it's interesting. We did see one startup that was trying to do this maintenance stuff mm -hmm. and they were using agents as a channel because for that purpose, like, oh, they'll have your app. They'll use it to hire handymen and whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so you'll know what's going on with them and they'll open up your app all the time and they'll, they'll remember you kind of thing. So that's, that is yeah. interesting. Yeah. So that and then like obviously builder trends really taking off in the in the construction tech space. You know, you know, just really you see a lot of these guys, everybody who's got a building plan in a truck is a builder right now. Yeah. Um, and so really helping put that almost business in a box, CRM, you know, construction schedule, change order scenarios, all that stuff in one place. So I just think technology for fintech, prop tech, construction tech. Heck, even ag tech. I'm looking at some ag tech stuff right now. Agriculture, right? There's, that's been a space that hasn't had any innovation in a long time. You know, in the, you know, the cattle industry and in the hay industry and the ag industry. So you're starting to see a lot of private equity is moving into that space. Yeah. For those of y'all on the call, um, start put if you want to start posting some questions. Um, I've got plenty. I always enjoy talking to Terrence. So that's never, there's never a lot of things to talk about. Uh, but if y'all want to start posting questions, that would be uh, amazing. Cause I'm sure he'd um, love to hear from you guys. Um, as people start to kind of ramp up some questions, what, what do you think about this idea of like real estate just being so hyper regional? Right. I mean, I think it's interesting that, you know, my presumption was like probably in Texas cause that's how everybody, you know, unless you're a gray star. Right. And, yeah. national. Um, how do you think technology is affecting kind of that regionality of real estate? It's changing the game. It's the reason why, you know, me being an independent broker, starting TM5, scaling it to a billion in sales in a small college town in eight years, which is a lot of volume. Um, it was a reason that EXP made sense for me to merge. You know, mm -hmm. cloud-based brokerage. Uh, it's a publicly traded company. Um, and this isn't a, you know, a pitch. It's just it was it was what I was thinking. Um, it, it it was pretty much it's one brokerage with no borders, right? If I was a part of other companies, I have regions, I have franchisees, I gotta have red tape, I gotta go to this office and check in, I gotta log into that computer over here, where it's all cloud based. It's all done on Verbella. Uh, it's our you know proprietary software that we do all our education stuff on. Um, and it's it's been amazing for me in the two months, that three, three, four months that I've been a part of EXP. And I think it's the reason it's the fastest growing real estate brokerage in the world right now because of technology. Right. Because answering your question, you know, if we didn't learn anything in 2020, when everybody was stuck at home, um, you know, real estate agents were, were one of the first industries that were considered an essential business. Mm -hmm. and so we were out running and going. Well, there's a lot of big real estate companies that had millions of square footage of office space sitting vacant for a whole year. Um, and that's where you saw EXP really take a lot of market share of agents because it just made sense. Yeah. 
What do you, have you studied Compass much? I have, I have. I mean, it feels like they were trying to, you know, they you know, always used to joke around, well, WeWork's just an office, it's just, it's like Regis or anything else, it's nothing new. It's really just kind of a real estate services play. And then Compass comes along kind of with that same, like, no, no, we're SaaS, we're tech. And turns out they're none of those things. <laughs> so do you have any thoughts about like Compass and like this, this need for people to like think that their business is something that it's not really to get the, to, get, to catch the eye of investors really. Yeah. It was, a, you know, it was a great marketing tool for those guys. Um, I know them really well uh, because my wife and I were independent. So if it's, you know, Keller Williams, Rilogy, Compass, any brokerage out there in the space, we've talked to at a high level because they wanted us to either fly their flag, be their franchise or help them plant their, company in Texas just because of our reach. Um, so I was in high levels with those guys. I flew up to New York, spent some time at their office. I'm proud of them going public. Congrats on that. Um, but yeah, I think there was a, yeah, there was, yeah, they were buying a lot of brokerages, a lot of independents acquiring them. And um, I think they're still just trying to roll out their services. And, but I, I felt for me personally, EXP was just a, yeah. was a better move. Uh, um, what do you think about the mortgage process? About my boys actually bought bought their first uh, condo a couple months ago, um, and they're twenty and nineteen, and so they're Gen Z buyers, right? Mm-hmm. And they and I said, "Hey, you guys go figure it out." <laughs> and they were just absolutely blown away about how archaic the process was. <laughs> I mean, just absolutely, you know, for a Gen Z to, to go through the mortgage qualification process and filling out the forms and, you know, it's like, dad, they've never heard of DocuSign. Like they keep making me fill out the same forms and I have to scan them. Uh, yeah. I mean, it just seems like there's such an opportunity there, you know, to just like buy and buy, you know, click and go, right? There is. the. I think the well, and that was the big pitch that Compass had. You know, they were going to take out the fragmentation of real estate. Um, I still feel like no one has solved that yet to say from A to Z, a consumer experience. How do we curate this? And this is something I actually on my Instagram, um, I do a presentation in Nashville on this topic because I'm passionate about it. And in one of my slides, I said, we as real estate professionals, professionals aren't competing with each other anymore. What we're competing against is other industries. So the Airbnbs of the world, right? Um, you know, that consumer experience, the Amazons of the world, where I could just pull up my phone, touch and go, when that's people's you know usual day and then they get to us and I got to drive to the office and drop off earnest money check and I got to you know, write on a contract and scan it, it's not going to work. Like it's going to hurt us in the long run. And that's the reason why I'm reaching out and trying to connect with people like you. You're an innovator. You're, you're a thought leader. And I want to be a part of that because of my reach as a real estate entrepreneur. And I, and I know I have the mind. I'm just putting together the right team. I have two or three really cool, innovative startup ideas. But it's just like, how do I put the team together to start this thing? Because you're right. The process is archaic. Like last year, my team, we did a thousand transactions. It's a lot of deals to see deal after deal where it's like, why are we still doing it this way? So I've tried to innovate and I'm pushing, but I need to do more. Yeah. What do you think on the developer side? You know, we 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 have these things where we pattern out 
thesis and we kind of go deep on it. So Nick's been leading this thesis around, um, around this idea of the developer's toolbox, right? So how do I take a real estate developer and say, here's all the software and technology you need, go be highly efficient and go do your job well and, and have a lack of reliance around the urban planners and the architects and the engineers, like go do you. And, you know, so we have a company called Local Logic up in Montreal that does kind of the demand gen side of if you're trying to develop something. We have another group that just joined our incubator called Digital Master Plan. And you can like in 3D play Master Planner, right? Mm -hmm. Like SimCity, you can play Master Planner yourself and you have all this great data and they're going to pull in zoning information and all that good stuff, right? And, and saying yeah. like, as a developer, why do you need to go talk to 10 people? I'm just going to do it. Are there things on the development side that you see that are kind of creating that friction as well for you? You just hit it on the head. There's so many different hands in the bucket, right? You got your engineer, you have, um, you know, the city planner, you have your draftsman, you have your architect, right? You have your lender, your banker, you know, it's like every builder and the list goes on. Like there's a lot of people. So that's the reason, one of the reasons people are like, why do you have so many companies? Because I just got frustrated with dealing with other people. So I said, you know what? I'll just start the company and innovate and do it myself because I can now control the speed in which is being done. So that's one of the reasons I started started a lot of my companies. It was just off the friction and the pain point that I was feeling as a developer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think you hit it on the head. How do you, the hard part is when you, when you include the city in anything, <laughs> how do you innovate? Because they have to participate, right? You can get a client to do things, you can get a consumer to do things. You can even get a lender or someone else because they're being paid off the transaction. But how do you, to me, that pain point is going to be the city. Mm -hmm. You know, they have e-tracking and some of those things they're rolling out now where you can submit your plans. But it's just it's it's tough right now, for sure. Yeah, it's interesting. Yesterday, we had our friend Mark Teixeira um, on talking about real estate development. He's actually moved to Austin now. So he's right up the street from you. Oh, cool. We need to connect. Um, I'll connect you guys. But he um, he was talking about, we're talking about affordable housing. And he's like, look, we can all have, you know, a good process and finance it. And it's, it's not, it's challenging, but it can be done. But the minute it hits the city is when like it goes off the rails, right? It just goes off the rails. And that was his comment, like permitting, we're still going to this, to the city to get to pull permits and, and all of that. So he, he kind of identified the same thing. Like we can all be driving innovation, but the pinch point is going to be the, the municipality or the city. Yeah. It's going to stop there. You know, and that's, that's the beautiful thing about truth, no matter where you get it from, it's going to be the same. Right. And so Mark and I've never talked about that. And we both came to the same conclusion and it also, also lets you know, okay, these guys know what they're doing because, that's that pain point that we're all running into when you're trying to push things through. And it's just, it's ridiculous right now. It's the reason that I have started. I've never, so for 15 years after I, you know, stopped investing with Stillwater Capital for the last 13 years, I've done hundred, 150 million in acquisitions and development with no money raised. I've just done it on my own, me and my wife, but I'm so bogged down in development right now. I'm like, well, man, I got to go start buying multifamily. So it's the reason I'm buying multifamily throughout the United States and I'm starting to do syndication just because I can take it down, buy it, get a return for my investors and get a return for my own money and not sit in the development. Like I've been working on a townhome project for 18 months with the city. Wow. Like what, like, you know, and I'm sitting on the dirt. I got the dirt. I'm just sitting. So I'm carrying it 
for 18 months. It is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Yeah, it's interesting too. We, um, there's a company in our portfolio called Stake that does renters rewards in multifamily because we started to see this pattern where uh, I'd go to these multifamily conferences and everybody's talking about their um, their third jet or their second yacht. And I'm like, oh, these folks are doing pretty well. You know, they're doing real well. Uh, and you see that growth in multifamily and rents and and really kind of um, whether you want to call it inflation or market dynamics, whatever label you want to, rents are going up. That's why my kids bought a place. They looked at rent and they said, dad, I can buy a place for half the price. Correct. Um, you're seeing, still seeing that renters volume. So Stake does a rewards program for renters so they can start saving towards homeownership or whatever else they want to do in their in their life, so to speak. Um, but we through that process, we learned so much about just the volume of multifamily. And um, I was talking to a group in Asia and they said, we've never seen a country that flips assets so frequently. And someone told me, I don't know if it's a true stat or a fake stat, but they said something like multifamily properties are getting turned like every 18 months. The ownership is getting turned like every 18 months. Yeah. And the transaction volume is insane. It's insane right now. Even on deals like I'm in the best and final $50 million deal in the Dallas Metroplex. I just closed on a $32 million deal in Orlando and I'm in the best and final on another $31 million deal. Dude, on the $50 million deal, it's 16, 18 offers. Like that's you hear that on a two hundred thousand dollar single family house, not on a fifty million dollar asset, right? So it's just like, what are we doing? It's just it's it's getting crazy. Yeah, that is insane. Where I mean, what do you think? Is that purely just cap capital being cheap? Is that you know everybody has access to capital and capital is cheap? I think we I think with COVID and everything that happened in the market, a lot of people got you know there's a lot of powder out here right now. It's a lot of cash. And they need places to, um, you know, put it to work. And so um, this the multifamily space now that the memorandums and all that stuff is kind of out of the way. It's it's a it's a hot industry right now. Uh, I think real estate in general is a hot industry. It's one of the only, you know, global markets that almost doubled last year in the middle of COVID. So um, there's a lot going on in the real estate industry. I think it's a, it's a great time to be in real estate, whether you're in prop tech or whatever. And that's where I'm just looking for technology companies that I can be a part of, invest in, help grow, scale, because it's still a very archaic experience, even in the multifamily space. So there's a lot of innovation that needs to come over the next, you know, 12 to 36 months. Yeah, it's wild. Well, are you, um, do you have any exposure? Um, that's interesting. They're telling me to look in the Q and A that there's questions. Yeah, I don't see QA. I don't see any questions in here, guys. <laughs> Let's see. Allow me to step in. <laughs> All right, run with it, Ian. All right, so uh, we, so we got to switch over to the stage. So we got a few questions. Some are related to business, some are related to football. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so first of all, um, let's see. The NFL is the highest level of competition in football. What advice would you give entrepreneurs who want to get to the highest level and achieve that level of success, success in their field? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, yeah, what I would say is for me, the, the good and the bad about the NFL, it's a funnel, right? So it's a, it's a huge funnel. And there are, there are very strategic parts of that funnel to, to excise it and get the numbers down and get the numbers down and get the numbers down. 
Well, I've taken that same thought process and I've brought it into being an entrepreneur, right? You know, you look at the percentages of businesses don't make it out of year one, the percentages of businesses don't make it out of year two. And I like to study those statistics and make sure that I understand those. I call them like landmines. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, okay, how can I make sure that I don't do that? How do I make sure I get past that? How do I make sure I 10X this? And I just use statistics um, as my, you know, my roadmap to getting to that level that we need to get to. Because no matter what industry you're in, KP said it earlier, right? Like if you want to be in the multifamily industry, okay, a billion in assets under management, that's a great start. How do I get there? All right, go start walking down it. So I look at kind of that overall thought process and then I kind of walk backwards. Yeah. I found the questions, Ian, unless you got it. Yeah, I found them. Um, So this is a great question. Um, How do you like balance the ambition to kind of grow your business or just retire? Right. Or just stop, you know, like, uh, you know, why keep doing it? Right. You, you, You sold your practice. You're doing more, you know, you're taking on more, not less, right? Um, why not just retire and hang out? Yeah, so for me, you know, we're all wired differently. Um, I think a lot of times people assume that all athletes or all entrepreneurs are all successful, whatever, high net worth people are all after the money, right? And for me, it's not that. Like, I just have to be pursuing something. I have to be in the hunt. You know, there's hunters, there's gatherers and there's scalpers. And I've really spent a lot of time with my team asking them, who are who are they? Because I talk about my tribe. Are you a hunter? Are you a gatherer? Are you a scalper? I'm a hunter. So I have to be getting on the horse and just hunting and chasing. Um, and I've learned that balance. Like I don't, you know, early on as an entrepreneur, you know, I mean, there was a time where I literally worked. And I'm not exaggerating, like almost 100 days straight because mm-hmm. you have to. You just got to grind. Yeah. Um, but now I work um, four days a week. And my ultimate goal when I turn 40, I'm a couple years out from that, is I want to semi-retire and work three days a week. And those other four days are for hobbies, for my family, my wife, myself, my relationship with God, just doing other things, giving back to my community. So I would just say whatever. Yeah, that, that to me, because I don't think anybody that's wired like us, like me and KP, we're never going to be able to retire. Like, we're never going to just be able to sit on the back patio and drink mimosas every day. It's just not going to happen. But can I bring it down to where it's more manageable? And I'm already working on that. Like, like I said, my ultimate dream is when I get to 40 is to work three days a week. So that'll be my semi-retirement. Very cool. There's another great question here, I think. Um, and, and I'll put a little context for myself. Like it feels like the, the career of a, the career of an NFL athlete these days. I mean, you have the Tom Brady's of the world that's probably going to play until he's 50. <laughs> Outside of that, everybody's getting hit pretty hard. And, yeah. you know, it's just it's so so much faster, so much everything. How How's the NFL supporting athletes as they transition out of the sport into business, into other things? Do they, do they provide a lot of support around that? You know, um, I don't know if you guys have seen, there was a, a 30 for 30 called Broke that was on ESPN. <laughs> And people grab a hold of that and they just make these assumptions and they're like, oh, man, I can't believe KP was a first round draft pick, played 10 years. and He's broke now. Right. Like, why, why? Why did he do that? You know, I think the I think the assumption is that we have all these protocols and systems and transition programs in place. And I would say it's it's 
It's very fragmented and it's inconsistent. And one of my biggest pushbacks is that we need to have something in place. So I actually have a nonprofit that I'm working on called the 99 percent because less than one percent of us go pro. And then the one percent that goes pro is the average career is two years. Mm -hmm. um, But that 99 percent that doesn't go pro or gets injured early, they just get thrown to the world. And everybody just assumes that, oh, man, Aaron Rodgers, you know, he's good. It's like, no, he's not. He's depressed. He doesn't know what he's going to do with his life. And so um, it it is a tough transition. And the depression rate of athletes, not just NFL athletes, because I've talked to a lot of female athletes, NBA guys, MLB guys, it's like 96% of depression they all go through at some point in that transition. So I think there needs to be more done, and I'm working on trying to do my part for sure. Yeah, I think um, like my son is a huge Mahomes fan. And when he signed that deal last year, you know, I'm getting texts from him and everything. But, you know, those are the rare deals. That's not everybody. You know, it's interesting. I was watching a game the other day and they're like, oh, he just signed a one year contract for two million. And I'm like, I mean, that's that's a lot of money. Right. But it's not when you think about that has to, you know, I learned that lesson. I took my company public when I was 28. and I thought it was a lot of money. And it took me about a year to figure out, oh, I'm going to live a lot. Like it doesn't last that. It's not like, you know, never work again. It's like, well, maybe make better decisions, but yeah, um, it doesn't last forever when you, when you make it early. And, you know, these folks are 25, 26. And no, and there's a lot of people in this involved, right? You, let's say you see a $1 million deal, a $1 million signing bonus. There's an agent who's going to get a commission off of that, a good size commission, a sports agent. There's taxes. People don't understand. We have to pay taxes in every state that we play. Oh, wow. Nobody knows that. That's why. You know what I mean? So if I play at Green Bay, right, for seven games, but then I play the San Francisco 49ers, I got to pay taxes on that game. I got to pay taxes on that one game on my game check. And then then obviously for the rest of the states that I play in. So there's a lot more to it. And and the end of the day, that nut's a lot smaller than people expect. I heard that's why Tom Brady, like, left uh, the Patriots to go down to Florida that the taxes were better. Especially somebody like him who's been really blessed and had an amazing career. No brainer. He's the GOAT. It's all love and respect. Uh, And I played with Brett Favre. He was my quarterback, but Tom Brady's the GOAT. But yeah, I mean, he's got so much coming in. Why not protect it? Yeah. Brett Favre, yet yet another great decision the Atlanta Falcons made. (laughs) I know, right? (laughs) Right. My boy, Brett, that's my guy, man. He's, he's He's a good friend of mine. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, have you? There's a question here um, around 3D virtual environments and using that to uh, inform how you look at developing space, how you design space. Like you know, uh, I learned early as in my engineering career was that as, as an engineer we knew how to le- read blueprints and drawings, but it turned out our developers and owners did not actually know how to look at 2D drawings and see what they were buying. And, you know, I used to joke around that the number one purchase you make sight unseen is a building. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see a lot of this AR, VR stuff going on. Um, do you use a lot of that technology? Do you look into that? We're working on it right now. Murphy Signature Homes is my construction company. And we build these like really modern contemporary homes. And for us in this small college town, we're so innovative. Like if you look up our product, people are like, wow, y'all are building those in College Station. They look like they should be in L.A. or in Austin. So we're we're trying to push the envelope. We we do uh, 3D renderings, things of that sort. We're trying to bring in this immersive tour 
this mm-hmm. kind of walk through our floor plan and kind of see it all happen. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's where everything's going to head soon. Especially if inventory keeps getting hard to get your hands on, you're going to literally have to start buying houses like that, right? I got to yeah. just look at it on the 3D and I got to write an offer. And I think that's coming. Oh, interesting. That's really yeah. well. Yeah, I think it's coming. I think it's coming for sure. And I think there's going to be a time where you physically may not be able to get in the home on time. And that's mm-hmm. the only way you can get, you know, know what you're buying. We have another fun question. Um, all right. And I think all these fun questions are, that's pretty much Nick, I think, doing all this. <laughs> <laughs> There's an anonymous feature and my team jumps in and does it anonymous. I'm pretty convinced it's all Nick. Um, <laughs> but um, this one is, what is your take on the debate of college athletes getting paid or making money? Well, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a trigger point for me, for sure. Um, yeah, that, that Nick, you and I need to have that. We need to have a lunch on that one. But um, <laughs> yeah, I think the biggest thing, um, um, I don't know if you guys know Flip Flipping. Mm-hmm. So look him up. He is an amazing consultant. He's a, con- a business consultant to the New York Yankees and pretty much billion dollar companies. Well, he's here in town in College Station. And I remember as I became an entrepreneur, entrepreneur early on, he said his company did a um, like a, a research project on student athletes. And he said, if you take the revenue that you guys produce and the hours that you work, this is about how much you make. It was like 10 cents on the dollar, like literally. Um, but then you look at these schools, just the football program is producing 200, 300 million in revenue. Right. Um, and so that's why the one thing is a sticking point for me. And I'll answer the question in a second is when people say you're, you, you know, you got your school paid for you for, for free. That's like a, that's like fighting words for Mr. Murphy. Like, cause there was nothing free about what we were doing, man. Like we were out there and we signed up for it, mm-hmm. but we were out there grinding it away. Like we did not have a college experience. Right. Cause we don't get to go home in the summers. Yeah. We have to stay here. We, we don't get to go home on Christmas breaks. Like we go home and you come right back cause you're at a bowl game or you're working out. Right. And so it's a, it's a full-time job. We literally work seven days a week, but as far as the pay thing, I'll say the fun part of that is I think it's cool, man. I think these kids should be making money off their name and likeness. Cause why not? The NCAA is a billion dollar industry. Yeah. So I think it's good to let them get a piece of it. Yeah. And I think especially since it's so easy, right? It's TikTok, it's Instagram. It's not like they have to go somewhere. I mean, they're kind of just in a way like giving people a view into their life and making some money doing Instagram stuff and all of that. They're going to do it anyway. They're going to post yeah. on Instagram anyway. And I think a lot of them are local celebrities. Mm-hmm. You mean, they, they, you know, I remember when I played my senior year, I wasn't Johnny Manziel. I didn't win the Heisman, but my last two years, I was the face of Texas in football. Yeah. So every magazine, every pamphlet, when you go on the side of the stadium, it was a huge photo on Kyle Field of me. And there's jerseys being sold. Obviously, I didn't have my name on it, but it was number five. It was pretty obvious it was my jersey. And you don't get a penny from any of that, man. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think it's cool. I do have a correction. That was not Nick who put that in there. That was Matt Ullman, our CTO. He was very upset. <laughs> he was very upset. I'm not going to look you up, Nick. He's like, I'm never using the anonymous feature again. <laughs> um, we have a, this will be kind of the last question. We'll let everybody get going. Uh, we have a question um, from Dilip Chowdhury. Dilip's the CEO of Walter P. Moore based in Houston, not too far from you. They're 
3,000 person, I'm probably wrong on the numbers, but that size engineering firm and one of our investors and partners. So uh, Dilip asked the question, he's like, high home prices and low savings keep many out of the market of achieving their American dream. Do you think that is why rental the, the rental market will always stay strong in the contiguous U.S.? No, I think I think he hit it on the head. I think, um, you know, I remember a starter home, you know, with, if you look at just the soaring prices in labor, if you look at the shipping issues that we're having in the construction industry right now, I mean, you literally have to order appliances seven months, eight months out. You can't get a Thermador or a Wolf appliance right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when you talk about garage doors, as soon as you break ground, you have to order your garage doors, right? Like, that's just crazy. Windows, if you guys are driving around your city and seeing new construction, multifamily, and you're wondering why it's framed up, there's no windows, because they can't get them. So the construction industry is it's hurting. Um, you know, lumber prices were up at one point almost 200%. And so when you, you start factoring in all those things, there's labor shortages, you know, subs now, you know, they used to charge you $5 a square, and now it's 15 they're just It's just crazy. And so... Um, I think along with that, yes, rental rates, because I, I think there's going to be also a balance of, you know, even if they were to get approved, most first time home buyers can't get a home right now. They literally cannot win, especially if they're FHA and they're not conventional and they're not paying cash. I mean, I know I know people all over the United States that are buyers agents that have shown people and they've made offers on 16 different homes for one family. Think about that, dude. Like how many houses you need to see and how many times you emotionally got to get involved in a home just to lose. And so that's what people don't realize is when you get 20 offers, there's only there's there's 18 losers. The listing agent wins and the one buyer's agent wins, but everybody else loses. So I think, yeah, I think that along with, you know, you know, what he said earlier is going to keep the rental market strong. Well, thanks, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, bro. Um, we'll, we'll get together in person at some point here. <laughs> yeah, give me post. <laughs> I get out of my cocoon. Man, I, I'd love to, you know, keep being a part of your ecosystem and your tribe that you're building. Congrats on what you're doing, and I would love to help in any way on these on these tech ventures. All right, thanks, man. It's good to see you. See you, brother. All right. All right. Bye. Bye.